and welcome to Big Gay Energy. I'm Bree. I'm Theora. And I'm Caitlin. Come along with us while we dive into the fun and nuances of queer media. Representation matters, and we're here to talk about it. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. If you need to stop it, all, just let me know. Okay, that's fine. Cheers, queers. What's on the big A agenda tonight, Theora? <laughs> yeah, tonight <laughs> we are going to continue our Heartstopper season two discussion by shooting on over to episode three called Promise. I promise this is a great episode because aren't they all? I was going to, I was trying to figure out something to say, I promise with, <laughs> I love you. <laughs> well, well, how could it be bad? Because, you know, in the last episode, Isaac, or not Isaac, Tao asks Isaac and Charlie to help him with L, and it starts off with said help. And this is one of the cutest scenes in the show where they're like in the art room and they're sitting in front of an easel, and I think it says like L date ideas, and they're just trying to help him figure out like like what to propose as a date to L. But I love that they're in the art room and it's an easel on a canvas. Like, it's so (laughs) perfect. They're like fifth anniversary gift to Elle. (laughs) Is that easel? Yes. Or not the easel, the canvas, you're right. Oh my God. That would be so cute. I hope they saved this. (laughs) I feel like Tal is pretty sentimental. So it's probably like in the back of his closet. Right. Um, Oh, I'm sorry. I misspoke. It says ultimate L date, which is so fucking cute. Okay. And so they're trying to spitball ideas. And so naturally Isaac suggests this book swap date. And like the way his face lights up when he's talking about it is the cutest thing. It's so cute. But of course, Charlie's like, um, that's your ideal date. I think Tao says that. Is this me? Oh, the Tao? like i think that's your ideal person right (laughs) this is ultimate l date help tal with but i just i love seeing that and then we we do get he gets kind of a book date later but he does but i mean books are art l might be into it it's not too far off but it is (laughs) super that is isaac's perfect date is a book book swap date somebody suggests a book to him which i love and they then should have done painting with a twist or something yeah honestly there's so many, see you just needed us there i know how <laughs> let's can we be your friends to help you <laughs> yeah painting was supposed to be good because we've seen tao's 
drawing skills, he needs paint with a twist. So that equals the playing field between the two of them. <laughs> and it would have been better than what uh, they actually did. But we're jumping ahead, so... They were the idea was there, just the execution was bad. So what anyway, do so Charlie and Nick do. Charlie and Nick are just basic bitches because according <laughs> to that's what Tao's energy was like after he hears what they do. He's like, you guys hang out, play Mario Kart, and go to the beach. Boring. <laughs> but, I mean Mario Kart's not boring. No, it's not. But for Tao, in this moment, he's like, first date ever with L. It needs to be epic. It needs to be the ultimate date. And so his thoughts are just like in the clouds. He's like, amusement park, recreating 500 days of summer. Like, he's just thinking big. Go on a hot air balloon. Yeah, I'm surprised he didn't suggest that. Because like, that's the level of just like idea he's at. So like beach, he's like, no, no, no. Knock that up like 500 points. Like, what are you doing, Charlie? (laughs) Not helpful. But it's sad, though, because if Tao would just sit and think about, like, him and L, kind of like you did when you're, like, painting with a twist, like, that combines both of your interests, Tao is really just thinking about L and how to impress her. And in a sense, he's kind of erasing himself from the equation and just making it all about L, which is the problem with the first date. But it's better than just thinking about himself. That would be a Ben misery date. (laughs) Yes. You know, like he would invite you to a movie that you hated. And he'd be like, whatever, we're watching this. He'd invite you to a closet. Yeah. (laughs) A dark alley. (laughs) It would not be good, is what we're saying. It would be terrible. You'd be reenacting a horror movie with Ben. But yeah, so it's already off the bat, like Tao is just conforming. And, like, not being himself. And so it's just... I feel bad for Tao. He's just really scared of, like, losing L, And it's just clouding his judgment. I kind of want to see them all go on an Ikea date. (laughs) I mean, I want to see the entire cast in an Ikea. (laughs) I think that would be fun. Like, screw Paris. Like, let the heart (laughs) stopper go to to Ikea. That would be hilarious. You could see all their personalities there. Like, it would be so funny. Yeah. Okay, what do you see when you envision this? Uh, she does, like, Darcy playing with everything. Everything. Uh, There's there's a kid section there, so I feel like Darcy would, like, go there and just be, like, playing with everything. Isaac would probably just be looking at, like, the designs of things and just, like, really contemplating. Um, Charlie would be staring at Nick the whole time. Yeah. (laughs) And Nick would just be, like, a puppy dog, just, like, going around to everyone, seeing how everyone's doing. Let's see. What would Tao be doing? Tao would be uh, misusing things. (laughs) Yep. I'm trying to jump, try to jump scare L somewhere in the kitchen area or something. (laughs) Or like, there's, I know in mine at least, there's like this whole bin of stuffed animals. Maybe he's just hiding in there. Yeah. And he like pops up. (laughs) Yep. (laughs) And then uh, someone definitely uh, throws meatballs and someone else is catching them in their mouth. That's, that sounds like Tara and Darcy. Oh my gosh. And then yeah, someone's trying to get into the kid area, but they're not allowed because they're not children. 
like the like the play area that parents leave their kids at <laughs> which is separate from the kids like section of the IKEA. the toy area like yeah. the toy toys for sale versus yes leave your tots here <laughs> while you go shopping as long as they're potty trained <laughs> i i want to see this if this fan fiction exists send it to us <laughs> it's really specific. if it doesn't somebody write it <laughs> So unfortunately, you have to leave fictional IKEA and go to back to Truum uh, to follow Nick and Charlie because in the last episode, Charlie or the first the pilot back whatever two episodes ago, Charlie rejoined the rugby team. So that's been happening, but now at this point, it's the end of rugby season. <laughs> it, it's already over. Um, but before it ends. Nick does manage to find some time to gay stare at Charlie on the field, and there's some leaves happening. So I'm glad that happened. Um, but the key of this scene is that Nick at this point still hasn't made peace with the rugby lads like he wanted to, because excluding Harry, they've, they're good guys and they're his friends. And so they, on their own, like the non-toxic guys, try to reconnect with Nick independently at the end of this practice. And here they apologize for what happened at the movies where Harry was, you being know, Harry. going off on Charlie about being gay. Um, and they apologize and they, and they basically say, like, they're sorry that they didn't do anything, um, which is a really good lesson. Like, I'm glad they have this scene in here because, you know, you don't always know how you're going to act in moments like that. Um, even if you understand what's happening is wrong, like Harry's their friend. They had seen, they they mentioned they, you know, they've noticed that behavior in him, but they never really made anything of it. But when the thing went down with Charlie, it was really apparent that like Harry was in the wrong and like he has this toxic behavior. And so these guys have recognized that and they're like, we want to do better going forward. We can't change the past, but we, we recognize we were in the wrong. And we want to do better. And so I love that lesson of like, that they're trying to state with these guys here. I think that's really important. I am also like kind of proud of them because this is, I don't believe this is the first time that they like try to talk to him again or, but like they try multiple times throughout the show. Yeah. And, definitely. Um, and they keep trying to get him back because they do, they like Nick and want him as a friend. Yeah. And they're like trying to prove that they have changed. Exactly. They're learning to be good allies. Oh, okay. So also the kid in the front definitely knows that Nick and Charlie are dating because when the tall one says, uh, we know you are really good mates and you get that whole montage, but oh my God, the other kid just looks at him like, are you kidding me? Yeah. Oh yeah. No, this is straight up from the book too. <laughs> the good mates montage is one of the fucking funniest things ever the heroes out there have already gifted because it's so fucking funny <laughs> but it's like good mates and it's like them making out and stuff because okay this is such a a relatable thing like when you're dating in the closet and you can't and like it's just annoying because it's like oh you guys are such good friends or whatever and you like can't be like no you just have to take it and it's just ugh, it's the worst and I feel like Nick was feeling all those things when the good mates thing came up. <laughs> but, okay, so then they, okay, so the 
at the end of this too, they invite Nick and his good mate Charlie to the ends of exams party that one of them is hosting in the woods by his house. And uh if you Nick- say that out of context, it sounds really weird. Yeah. Like they're just like this could be a horror movie it could be but the goal is to just like burn all of your gcse stuff and just like cleanse from that big exam they really needed the fire department there oh my god that was a big fire we will get to that when we get to that episode but good lord that fire wasn't necessarily humongous i think that's in Uh, this episode is it this episode yeah we'll see Oh, it is this episode. It's later this episode. Sorry. <laughs> we'll put the fire. Yeah, it's unnecessary. So uh, after that, Nick and Charlie, this part's amazing. This part's hilarious. They, Nick and Charlie meet up in the storage room. Like, he's, they're putting away all the rugby stuff because end of practice, we got to put everything away. And they're alone initially. And Nick expresses his frustration with people thinking they're best bros. And he promises that, like, look, I'm going to come out to the lads. Like, I'll do it at the party because they'll all be there. What a great time to do it. Um, Because he's pretty certain they're going to find out sooner or later. And probably because they keep making out in public (laughs) at school. Because, like, which is exactly what they do right here in this scene. (laughs) They need to stop. (laughs) They need to stop. But what happens when they make out in this scene? Well, the rugby lads don't find out about them, but the coach does. <laughs> Luckily, it's okay. It's totally fine because she's an out and proud lesbian with a whole ass wife. So she's like, listen, I understand. Description with a whole ass wife. <laughs> but also look at the photo when they show it because it's so cute. It's so cute. They met playing sports together. So she's probably like, ah, history repeating itself with these boys. It makes my little gay heart so happy. And this scene is really cute, too. I love it because, you know, in the last episode, it was very much about family. And for Nick, he has his mom who's been really, really supportive. But here's another, like, role model kind of figure, like your coach, like somebody you look up to, somebody who, like, is watching out for you, trying to make you better. And to have your coach in this situation support you, like, she's amazingly supportive and tells Nick, like, if any of the other lads are, like, bullying you making fun of you like you come you come straight to me like i'll sort that shit out so that is so huge especially with like boys or like men's sports like being queer in that environment must be extremely difficult so to have the coach on your side automatically is really huge and that's what she talks about when she's like i had a rough time and i was in the girls rugby team where there's a lot of lesbians yeah Go watch the World Cup. They're everywhere. And so, and that was hard. So I can't even imagine, poor Nick, what you and Charlie may may go through. But, yeah. So I love that she's automatically really supportive. Oh, dear. Uh, Last thing about this scene that I think we can both agree on. Mm Mm-hmm. Is okay. The setup of this room. So okay. So coach has got a desk, kind of like in the middle. Nick's on the opposite side of the desk. There's like a window, the door, and then there's all these basketballs, and they're all sitting on their own individual like resting place. It looks like like, they put the egg on to like dive the eggs. (laughs) 
what it looks like. This little like piece of metal with like a hole in it, and it just sits. And it's every single basketball has their own individual one. Like to me, that seems really weird. Unless you're never going to use those basketballs, because but it's also really high. <laughs> yes, they're really high up, and there, it's, there's not an efficient way to put those basketballs back. Like if you had like like you saw the way they were cleaning up the rugby stuff and putting it away. Like mm-hmm. there's no efficient way to just like. You have to individually put them back. Like, who thought that was Maybe, a good idea? Okay, so, all right, I have a theory now. Okay. So, each basketball, each year, is she the basketball coach, too? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> like, now I'm trying to figure this out. Why does she just coach her all office? Is she, like, the PE? She might be the PE, like, she might run physical education and also be the rugby coach, like, after school. Uh, but I'm just going to say that she is the basketball coach, too. Sure. Okay. Because uh, this is for my theory. Got it. I think each year she picks one of, like, the most promising student and has them sign a basketball. And then those are the display. They're trophies. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, I like that. That makes way more, it makes way more sense for those to be display basketballs, not yeah. play basketballs. <laughs> but also it's a very weird, and because, like, when you get her close-ups, it's really weird because the basketballs aren't directly behind her and they're like slightly above. This is a very small re- I mean they make yeah. use of it, but it's just kind of weird. Yeah. I just I, I just can't get over it because like aesthetically, I can understand why you would do that because it's obviously it's a cool shot. And you're like, yes, she is in charge of sports. But <laughs> practically, it's really weird. <laughs> what Those says are- sports? Basketball. Basketball. <laughs> would have made more sense nope nope let's not go there okay we're moving on let's go to study hall <laughs> so um so okay so then we get this like study hall period nobody's in the gym but everybody's in, in room is in different places in the library doing different things tau is doing my favorite thing which is googling how to ask your friend out without being weird <laughs> it's such a tau google search if i ever heard one but when he's Googling, you see that another question is how to ask a fr- out a friend over text. Um, the answer is you don't. Yeah. I'm glad he didn't click that one. <laughs> I'd have been ashamed of you, Tao. You do not do that. Especially, Especially when Tao. you know them. <laughs> Your ultimate date cannot start with texting <laughs> said date. Like, just that how that works. I mean, Charlie and Nick uh, would do that and then just text the whole date. Oh my god. It would just apparently be... that's what they like to do when they're next to each other. Yeah. See, it's too basic for Tao. <laughs> but speaking of Nick, he him and Charlie are in their own section of the library. Nick is moaning on about like studying for his last exam. So we're two exams down for Nick, one to go, and it's chemistry. And Charlie decides to help him prep for this chemistry test rather than write his history paper that's due in a few hours. Like, the history paper he's been ignoring since Parents' Day. Which is and how long? Since Parents' Day. Like, that that exam, that exam paper has been due since then. I don't know how much time has actually elapsed. Because in but my head, the- it's months. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> I don't think it's been months, but I'm not sure. Regardless, though... The most ridiculous part of this entire episode is the fact that Charlie writes that paper in five, like in the next like hour, and then it turns it in. Like, if that's all it took to finish this this paper, why didn't you do this weeks ago? And then the bandwidth Nick would have been gone. 
see in my my head it took him all day and then i was trying to figure out how the hell he has time during that whole school day to write an essay because i was like are they just like not in classes today (laughs) it might just be like a study period that they have I do not know. We have established very firmly that we don't understand the UK schooling system. We don't. We're trying so hard, but we don't understand it, you guys. We're sorry. We don't. So yeah, Charlie is conveniently not in classes this day and has time to write the paper and turn it in five minutes before it's due. And then the bad part about this, too, is when he's making this deal with Nick, he's like, I'll help you study for chemistry, ionic compounds, all this stuff. Nick's like, what about your history paper? And Charlie straight up lies to Nick and says, I already did it. Yeah, that was wrong. That was wrong. To me, that was the worst part of this. Like, he could have been like, oh, I can write that really quickly. Like, I have time to help you. Like, do that instead of, oh, it's already done. Yeah, but I think that Charlie's knee-jerk reflex and why he did it was that, like, he's like, if, if I said all those things to Nick, Nick would then stress out about me finishing my paper and not focus on this exam. He's just trying to do everything in his power to make sure that Nick has no extra stress coming from him. That he, like, straight up lied to him here. It's kind of fucked up. It is. I just also don't understand why he waited so long to get his stuff done. That's what I, if you had, if you could complete the exam in like, the paper in like a school, half of a school day, because you were helping Nick most of that time, you could have done this weeks ago (laughs) and there'd be no more Nick ban. I don't get it. Yeah. I mean, I really don't. I don't get it. I, I, I assume the explanation is he's in such a dark place mentally. He didn't have the mental space to write the paper. But he managed to do it five minutes before it was due conveniently in this episode. So, I mean, I get I get procrastination and stuff because I do that as well. But I feel like this is just he had other things like where he wasn't allowed to see Nick. So I feel like that would have been motivation enough to finish the freaking paper. Yeah, that clearly wasn't that hard. (laughs) But anyway, it Um, is what it is during that whole conversation i don't know if it was the whole thing but at some point nick puts his head on charlie's shoulder oh he does um in school in the public yep but no homo no no they're not they're they're good mates (laughs) they're just good mates the best of mates the best (sighs) speaking of best mates that one of the other cute part of course in the library isaac's in there because it's a library so he is bonding with james who was mentioned at some point prior to this is James is the only other out gay guy at Truem. So they're adorably bonding over putting together a read with pride book display in the library. And they're like setting up all these books and like decorating it with like all the flags. It's the freaking cutest thing I've ever seen. There's Isaac's dream book date. Like, creating a display like this like isaac's face is just filled with so much joy he's so happy i'm so happy for him but i also love that they're allowed to have a display like this in their school i don't think we are in america anymore we're not allowed (laughs) to have books in america but especially this display because it's not just like books with queer characters like the books they specifically have on display are ones of addressing and explaining sexuality like they have the ace book that comes up again later 
They have ones about bisexuality. Like, I, that would definitely not fly in, in an American public <laughs> school. Yes. But I love that for them. So they're not studying, but they're making a fabulous use of their time. <laughs> so <clears throat> Nick takes his chemistry exam. GCSEs are over. All the lads run out of the room, throw their shit up in the air. We are ready for Paris. Mr. Farouk is like, enough of this shit. Get out of my sight unless you're here for Paris. Because <laughs> we got to talk Mona, about it immediately after your you're exam. You're getting ahead of ourselves. Because when they're just finished the test, there's this overhead shot. And it's a little askew. I don't really, I didn't read too much into that one. But the colors Ooh. are very contrasty. And everything Ooh. is very uniform. Just like how the test is. Oh, you mean the one in the gym? Oh, dang. Oh, I like that. It's, is it supposed to give you anxiety like you're about to take a test? Um, I don't know. I just liked it. I also love, I think that's here. At the end of this, one of my favorite things too, when the exam is over, the coach, because for some, it, it's in the gym, so she's in charge of the exam because that's her domain. When it's done, <laughs> she's like, put your pens down. Nobody in the room has a pen. They <laughs> oh all God. have pencils for this exam. So what was this like? I forgot about that. Yeah. <laughs> it made me laugh so hard. Because it's one of those standardized tests. Where, like part of the instructions are you have to have a specific instrument, like a specific Number kind of writing two. instrument. Wait, they're universal, right? They're what? Number two pencils are universal, right? Yeah, like okay. yeah, like like that's what I mean. Like if it's a pencil, they'll specify pencil versus pen. And then if it's a pencil, what kind of pen? Like a number two, a number three, like side question. Yes. We always say number two pencil. Is there a number one pencil? I think it has to do with the diameter of the lead. Maybe. But like if you sharpen it, know. it's different and Maybe for like drawing, there's a number one. In the UK, if you use number one pencil, <laughs> can you please let us know? <laughs> we obviously don't know a goddamn thing. <laughs> so About we should school. put ourselves out of our misery and just shoot out over to Paris because we can't with the school. <laughs> so, of course, we're going to have the joint Paris trip meeting interim because. Everything always happens in Drew, but Higgs is going to, which is amazing. Um, I know you keep bringing up that everything happens in Truem. It does. Uh, so my theory is boys always get a bigger budget. So maybe they have better facilities and are able to bribe the teachers to do extra things. I think you are absolutely correct because patriarchy, Caitlin. <laughs> you are correct. So Higgs has to get over to Truem, and on the way, Tar and Darcy are having this really cute banter with each other because that's just who they are. And Tara gets so caught up in the moment of how cute and adorable this is that she says, I love you, basically, to Darcy for the very first time. Because you're annoying. Yeah. <laughs> she was being <laughs> her annoying self, and she likes that about her. And the conversation itself is really cute because it's just, you know, Darcy being playful. And she's like, oh, we're going to spend so much time together on this trip. And you're going to get so annoyed with me. And I think that language is really indicative of Tar Darcy's fear. Mm -hmm. Because Darcy has this um, 
default where basically she uses humor to kind of like keep things surface level and to like deflect her own feelings but like although she's being humorous in this conversation with tara her her insecurities really creep into it when she's saying that um and the i love you comes out because tara is trying to assure her like i love you because you're annoying which to me translates into i love you for exactly who you are and i don't think i'm not sure that that really dawns on darcy fully because to darcy and we'll get into this as the season goes on darcy doesn't feel like she's always being herself at all times so like this was like huge uh not just the i love you but the implications of like i love you for you i think are too much for darcy to really process because she's also moment. still hearing because you're annoying yeah well. that's true which is her school persona right that's who she is at school versus her home life is a totally different story yeah so poor darcy and tara can like see the way darcy's face just completely changes um yeah so like Dar tara starts like backtracking because like darcy can't process this um and i think that while tara was doing that to kind of like get darcy off the hook because in a way she's like oh that was too much too soon mm -hmm. kind of thing she's freaking out i don't want you to freak out don't worry about it i, I don't that, i don't really mean it like that it was just a casual it was casual you know i'm just kidding you know whatever. oh yeah so casual so casual so it's like, like we're gal pals you know <laughs> um i think darcy unfortunately takes that as confirmation that like nobody can ever love me kind of thing because mm -hmm what we know from her home life like it's not a loving environment and so i i highly doubt she's really heard those words genuinely spoken to her and so to have tara say it and then immediately backtrack i think that like was a little triggering for for darcy you know and uh yeah yeah um and then so darcy just like basically like okay walks away and then tries the humor to cope with it by telling Sahar prom should be vampire themed. Yep. <laughs> Which she, she really, she really wants this vampire theme because it comes back again. She wants vampire themes. She throws out pirate themes. Like she, she wants like a five year old uh, boy's birthday party. Yeah. No, that's. <laughs> I'm surprised she wasn't like Marvel themed at one point. But she does bring up Mario and Peach. So like, yeah, you're right. It is like a boy's birthday. Party. <laughs> that is Darcy in a nutshell, to be honest um and tara is understandably completely confused by this what what just happened because like none of this was planned and then the reaction was just wow um but i think tara in this moment it's kind of maybe starts to become more apparent to her that the two of them don't really have meaningful conversations with each other um or it's rare that it happens um particularly ones that are about their feelings and how they're feeling in, in the moments um so poor Tara, I, she also, I feel like, doesn't know what to do with this. But instead of, like, jumping into, like, clown mode, she just looks really crushed after this happens, which is really sad. Yeah. And I she looks like that a lot this season. Plot line. <laughs> but, of course they did. Yeah, no, she does. She just looks really crushed this whole season. And this makes me real sad. And, and I think Darcy is, too, but just doesn't show it. Yeah. You know? I I want more for them next season. Me too. 
But during the meeting, I don't know if I someone might have asked Isaac what he's reading, but the book Isaac is reading at the meeting is called Book Lovers by Emily Henry. And the rights were sold to make it into a film soon. So Ooh, you can look forward to that. that. I hope he's in it. <laughs> That'd be <laughs> cool. Meta. All right. So at this meeting, uh, another cute thing that happens when they finally get inside and sit down, James comes over to invite Isaac to the big bonfire party that's happening. And he's like, yeah, you should come. And all your other friends that are staring at us <laughs> having this conversation. Oh my gosh, I, I love that. I, I It always makes me laugh when someone then realizes there's more people. I'm like, oh, okay. I gotta love that tunnel vision. It is really fucking funny. But something that people don't miss is the fact that Tao is not with them. And everybody's like, where the, what? where's Tao? And so this whole meeting goes through where Mr. Farouk and the art teacher, whose name's I forgot, the name I forgot, I apologize. The art teacher. teacher? I can't remember his name. I'm so sorry. I keep wanting to call him Ben for some reason. So (laughs) my notes are always like the teachers or Farouk gives the art teacher (laughs) so bad. I love them though, to be clear. But I just can never, yeah, his name doesn't stack for me. I so apologize. It's because everybody keeps saying Mr. Farouk over and over again. So his name is more in my brain. But uh, at the meeting, basically they're like, okay guys, well, when we're in Paris, uh, you guys are going to have to be roommates. Uh, and girls with girls, boys with boys. There will be no cross-gender sharing. Oh, no. Oh, Darn. no. Oh, no. Which cries and yes, lesbian. Cries and lesbian. <laughs> so the girls all decide to sit, to, decide to room together. So it's going to be Elle, Tara, Darcy, and Sahara. And then for the boys, Nick, Charlie, Tao, and Isaac. And the saddest part of all of this is when the teachers are like, okay, break and find four people to room with. We shoot on over to poor Imogen, who gets ditched immediately by Ben, who she's sitting with. And she's just like sitting by herself and like looking around. Like she's like, I I don't even know who to ask. And girl, I've been there so many times with Mm -hmm. this. I would just like assign us roommates. Like don't let us pick. Yeah. uh, So this is something like we were talking about how she doesn't really have friends. So like I've been in her place where you see it feels like you have friends and then but the minute their actual friends are around, you're ditched. So like yep. this is kind of yeah. what that's like. That is and exactly what's happening. She's with Ben. And I mean, like, what would happen if she was at that table? There'd be five girls. Like what like that would be really left out. Yeah. I feel like though, if she was near them and like hanging out with them more those girls would have tried to find somebody for her because like to room with because that's who they are but that's not what ben does ben's just like whatever it completely blocks out imogen and is trying to find himself something mm-hmm. but yeah it just her loneliness eh. i've been there girl it makes she it breaks my heart somebody hug her i want to hug her I'll hug everybody i know i want to hug all these people they're all so great <laughs> All right. And then once the Paris meeting concludes, we all have our roommates. We never learn who Imogene rooms with, but I assume she has roommates. Maybe she got a single. (laughs) That would honestly, I'd be down for that. (laughs) But anyway, when that ends, everybody leaves wherever they were. And finally we see Tao. And the reason why he was missing 
because he has to ask Del L out on the ultimate date. And I have to point out very publicly. Again, it's, the it's the ultimate date. So he shows up spiffy AF with sunglasses on. And it's after so this meeting happened after school. So it has to be nighttime. Logically, or getting close to nighttime. He's got sunglasses on. He's got this like these nice clothes on. He looks all spiffy. He cut his hair. He has a dozen red roses and he's just standing there. So it's like the most out of character Tao we've ever seen. And this is the first time Sahara's ever seen Tao. <laughs> this is what she's seeing. So I love that this is her intro to him. I mean, she. I feel like she's kind of used to the the rest of the group at this point. She's like, this is normal. I mean, if you're friends with Darcy, this is super normal. <laughs> Darcy, like, try to convince you to make the prom vampire themed. This is normal. And so, Tao is uh, accepting that vampire theme. Yeah. Well, I think. Okay, I think she's not. She was more on board with the pirate theme because of swords. Vampires don't mm. hold swords. Come on, Tartsy, know your audience. I mean, they could. If they were vampire pirates, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so <clears throat> Tao asks Elle out, and he's like, do you want to go on a date with me tonight? Which is really short notice. <laughs> but yeah. also, Elle says yes. <laughs> I need three business days to make plans, at least. Yeah, because like Tao is like, dressed for the date he's like i'm ready to go let's go right now and i was like i just got out of school i went to this meet i'm still in my uniform she's like at first she's like what is happening i'd be like what? can i have a nap first yeah like <laughs> like saturday let's go tomorrow but, but it's also l takes forever to respond and just like kind of stares at tao and i feel bad for tao because he's probably regretting everything in that moment oh probably because clearly he put so much thought into just asking her out. And, like, he cut his hair. He got new clothes. Like, he got the flowers. He did all the things. Like, he's just like, oh, no, where did I go wrong already? We're not even on the date. Which makes the date even sadder. <laughs> so, Elsa's yes. And the they and Tao picked a cinema date because they both like movies. So, good thought good thought and Tao meets Elle in front of the theater and they go in together and the butterflies follow Elle inside so like it's showing that like she's really happy and in her towel feels about this date and but the date begins with Tao buying tickets essentially to Elle's favorite movie Moonrise Kingdom which is a film that she knows that Tao hates but again just like everything else when he, you know since the beginning of the episode like tao is really focused on making this l's perfect date like taking himself out of the equation and he's just he's just trying way too hard to impress her to a point where he's behaving like a completely different person and l because she knows him so well picks up on that immediately and it sours the date for her and i think that the fact that she sees Tao changing kind of like because of her in a way um, almost reinforces to Elle throughout the state that like this crossing the line from friends thing is probably is definitely a bad idea. If it's going to completely change 
Tao into somebody I can't recognize, you know? Yeah. Have you ever seen a movie with someone where you liked it, but the person you were with hated it so much and wouldn't stop complaining about it? And you had to just listen to them complain about it, but you actually like the movie and you're just getting really pissed off because that's what I feel like Elle feels like right now. Yeah. And I feel like she has already gone through this with this movie because she's like, I already know you hate this. And now they're reliving it. You know what I mean? Because Yeah, so she's probably just thinking about all the things he hates about it while watching it. Yeah, probably. And then what happens right after the date ends, exactly what you says. Tao is just like word vomiting everything he hates. You know, and, and I was like, I just watched my favorite movie. She's clearly smiling, enjoying the movie. And then is brought down by Tao's rant at the end. Um, During the date, though, there's a lot of, like, cute, awkward stuff. Because it's like, they're both their first dates, period, I, I think. And so, like, the thing happens where they're, like, trying to hold hands and and things like that. And I think this whole plot line is really important with the two of them because it's it's a human thing it's like this this trap we fall into when we're trying to impress somebody else so badly that we're just willing to like be chameleons and conform to like whatever it is we think the other person wants us to be and for like Ellen Tao like the irony of that really is the fact that they are drawn to each other because of exactly who they are and not when they're performing in social circles and things like that. Because anytime you see them outside, like, remember, like, when they were getting the uh, milkshakes and they were doing that, like, fish hook dance with each other? Just naturally. That's just how they are with each other. And they're just giggling and having fun. Like, like they're into each other for who they are when they're not performing. You know what I mean? Yeah. Ugh. And so, like, the, and, and the two of them, I think, are the characters that are most secure with who they are, like, at this point where we are in the story, because they're constantly just unabashedly themselves in public. And that's an admirable quality, like, to have that kind of confidence. And I think that's something that they both, like, like in each other. Um, so, yeah, this, this date was doomed to fall apart by the fact that Tao just was not being himself at all and just... So the date, despite the hand-holding and the, the cutesy stuff that, that did happen, it just, it falls apart because of that principle. And Elle does call out Tao for just centering the date around her when she's like, we should do something we both want to do, not just me. Because it's not fun if you're just centering this on one person. Like, they're not the type of people that like that. I feel like if Imogen was making a date for Ben and, like, was like, let's do something together, he would hate that versus, like, centering the date around him because... He's an egomaniac, but these mm-hmm. two are not. And so it just. Yeah. They should have went to a brand new movie so they could get dinner afterwards and analyze it together because we've seen them do that together. Yeah, and that's what they love. But and I guess Tao would have thought of that if he wasn't trying so hard. I know he just. Also, yeah. something that really confuses me is that he cuts his hair. But earlier, L said that she likes his hair long. Yep. So like he wasn't really he thought that's what she wanted but she literally told him that she didn't want him to cut his hair. Yeah, I think it's one of those things where he was just so in his head that he just like blocked everything out. And that that was that that he went on a Google rabbit the hole. The internet told him to cut his hair and he cut the his hair. The internet told him and he's just like this is what girls like. I can't mess this up. Cut hair. 
Also, I love the comically large food they have. I like. Oh I God. feel like the Seriously. only thing they could do is to signify how outrageous the food is at movie theaters. But their drinks are so small in comparison to like this large nacho thing. It was a normal sized drink with like a triple X popcorn and a triple X like, nachos, and they ate like all of it. So kudos to them. At least the yeah. food was good, I guess. Yeah, I guess they really don't need dinner now. No. <laughs> All right. So they, so even though the date went poorly, at the end of it, they still decide to go to the, the bonfire party together. So we kind of cut over to see what everybody else is doing at the bonfire before they get there. And we have James and Isaac immediately are just like, go off and do their own thing. And I love when they run away and Isaac is like, oh, we're running. <laughs> That's one of my favorite moments. <laughs> That's oh adorable. So adorable. Oh Shush. Oh. It's so adorable. Um, but even if they are just friends, they're still adorable together but isaac needs a friend who shares his love of books because it is really tiring to only have friends who don't like what you're most passionate about because like i've always like been obsessed with tv and stuff and i would want to talk about it nonstop, but i had no one around me who wanted to talk about it so i think that's why especially in the beginning of this podcast i cried a lot in these things because i was just so happy to have people in my life who wanted to talk about the same things that I did and it's you you need it yeah I totally agree with that because I've seen stuff online with people kind of talking about the friend group because okay let's think about their friend group for a second so Tao and Charlie became friends like when they were little because they were paired together in school and they bonded over a shared interest of Radiohead so it's established that Tao and Charlie have things in common. We never learn about how they became friends with Elle or Isaac, but it seems like Elle and Tao have that art thing in common and movies in common because we've seen them independently by themselves sitting down watching movies. Where does Isaac really fit in? I feel like like they got partnered up with Isaac when they were like older than... Uh, when Tao and Charlie became friends, but it was still like that age group where you like get paired up with someone you're like, okay, we're best friends now. Yeah. But I'm just thinking on like an interest level, like it, do the other friends share his interests? You know? It really doesn't seem like it. Right. I gotta read that book. But uh, about Allred, who's, who? what is Isaac is based off of, but yeah, I, and so I'm really glad you brought that up about James. Like, if James came into the fold in the, like, queer friend group, that would be perfect because, like you said, him and Isaac actually share, you know, the love of books together. And, like, I think that's probably why when, now that we know what we know about Isaac, I think that's probably why he lit up with the, like, date idea because he's like, oh, you pick out books for each other and then you exchange and then read it and then talk about it. Like, yeah, he probably needs a friend to talk about books with. I do love them as friends. I really do. Yeah, no matter what, I he just he needs James. He does. Okay. But 
we have to talk about Tori now. Yes. We have to we have to talk about Tori. So Tori shows up with Nick and Charlie. And okay. Now we have to get into the straw theory. Because I was always like, why is she she always has a straw and a drink? And now I know from reading Solitaire that her favorite drink is diet lemonade and she's always drinking it and she does drink it with straws. But there's a theory that uh YouTube friend. Oh my god, I'm gonna butcher this. I'm sorry. I can try to say it for you if you want. Do it. Annika Oosterink. Yes. Love you, love you, and love you for all the comments you left on our videos about the Hearthstopper stuff. Because she pointed out this, I don't actually didn't mean to presume. They pointed out the to the Tory straw hypothesis, which is that when Tori has her drink and her straw, she is an even-tempered human being. When she does not have her drink in her straw, she's murderous and has murder <laughs> on her mind. Because in this scene, she does not have said drink and no straw. And what happens in this scene? She basically threatens Nick. <laughs> she's like, take her, my brother, I'll fucking kill you. <laughs> and later, in the bonfire party, when Nick is looking for Charlie after he lost him, she has her little drink. And she's much less murderous with Nick, even though he broke his promise and lost Charlie. I think, okay. that, I think that theory tracks with it does. And it and there's does. another scene where it tracks as well. Without the drink? Yeah. Without Ooh. the drink. Oh, yes, because it's with David at that scene. You're she so have the right. Straw. That was when she was at her most murderous because he's a dick. Yes. Yeah. He deserved it. Mm-hmm. I almost wish she had the drink and she could have poured it on him. But Tori loves her diet lemonade so much she would have wasted. So <laughs> it kind of made sense. Okay. So Nick and Charlie. So they're there together. And from the beginning, Nick doesn't seem okay. He says he has like a headache, which is not something Nick, he's not somebody who gets chronic headaches from what we can tell. Um, and immediately Charlie's like, cool, do you want to leave? And Nick's like, no, 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 I, you know, I we're going to have fun. I'm here. I'm going to tell the rugby lads everything's going to be great. But it does not seem like everything is going to be great. It's like off to a bad start, like already. And so they kind of like wander into the, into the party. And they, of course, find like a secluded area in the woods, not by the bonfire, where they're kind of like doing their own thing and being cutesy. And near them is uh, Sahar and Tara. And Tara's on the phone with Darcy, like, obviously asking, like, where are you? You're not here. And we find out from their conversation that basically, like, Darcy couldn't get a ride out to the woods. And I assume it's because her mom refused to take her because we know what we know about her mom now. But Tara's like, I don't understand. Like, if you couldn't get a ride, why don't you just tell me? Like, ask for help. Like, I, it also seems like through a lot of these conversations, too, that Darcy's not somebody who asks for help. She's very um, independent. Yeah, and, and I think maybe she she had to be because of her home life. Um, I mean, is her mom really taking care of her? It does not seem like it at all. Like, it seems like Darcy's very much on her own a lot more than she should be. Um, And Tara obviously doesn't know any of this about Darcy's home life because she won't talk about it. And so she's just, like, frustrated. And she's expressing that to Sarah. And she's like, I don't understand, like, why she wouldn't just let me help her like i would i would have brought her here we, we would have fun and stuff and sahar says well maybe she's just embarrassed 
And so, like, it's it's interesting that, like, Sahar can kind of see, like, a little bit of what's going on with Darcy. And Sahar doesn't really see it. Um, and, yeah. And what I find interesting about Darcy's situation, it's, like, the opposite of what's going on with Tao and Elle. Because Darcy is somebody who performs to conform at home, to, like, appease her mother, who's, like, homophobic and terrible. But while she's at school, she's unabashedly herself. And and that's the thing that, like, Tara loves about her. Um, and I think what's ha- what really happens with her this season and what's starting to happen now is that she's struggling with that separation of, like, who I am at home and who I am not at home, basically. Um, the closer she gets with, with Tara. Because Tara genuinely wants to know every aspect of Darcy and she wants to spend a lot of time with her and, like, you know, that's kind of why she wanted her at the bonfire and all that stuff. And it's pretty clear from this conversation with Sahar, like, when Sahar says, oh, Darcy might just be embarrassed. And the way, like, Tara kind of, like, lights up, that she's super attracted to Darcy's confidence because she says, she's the most confident person I know. Nothing embarrasses her. And she's, like, beaming when she says this. So, like, I can kind of see, like, why Darcy would kind of be scared to, like, confess all of these things. Mm-hmm. Um because it's very evident that, like, Tara does like that about Darcy, like, a lot. Like, yeah, Tara even... talks about it a lot. Yeah, exactly. So, I think that kind of, like, adds to the complexity of, like, Darcy's situation and, like, why she's just, like, I'm not going to tell you everything. And I'm just, I'd rather just not go to the party at all than, like, have all this home life shit come out to Tara by accident, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, it's like she's not at the party, but, like, I can see why she would elect not to go than, like, bring Tara into her home life BS. I feel really bad for Darcy. I know. It's awful. She deserves to have an Olivia Coleman. Oh my god. Olivia Coleman should just adopt Darcy and get rid of David. (laughs) Yes. Darcy can have David's room. Yeah, for real. I love that. I like that idea. Darcy and Nellie would get along too. Oh. Yeah. Do you imagine family dinners too? Oh my god, that'd be, cute. that'd be so cute. Darcy just trying to feed Nellie under the table. <laughs> oh my god, she absolutely would. Um, speaking of cuteness, so uh, like five feet over from where Sahara and Tar- Tara are, Nick and Charlie are being the cutest thing on the planet and just like giggling and taking pictures and stuff. And while this is happening, Charlie brings up Paris, and so Paris has been this like goal for them for like. We're going to come out where we'll be out by the time we get to Paris because it's like the city of love and we'll be out in public and it's going to be great. Like exams are over, new year, new us, out and proud kind of thing. And it's really clear by watching Nick that like the Paris deadline is like stressing him out, you know? Mm -hmm. And so, you know, he, oh dear, I lost myself. Mm -hmm. It's okay. Okay, so he's, like, he's got a lot of pressure on him, and he's he's all the more determined to, like, tell the rugby lads at this bonfire party so that, like, Paris can be a reality. So he finds them at some point during this party and is, like, trying to tell them. He's like, hey, I got something to tell you guys, but it's like, they're in the middle of a party. Like, this is a bad idea. Like, everybody's, like, screaming. There's, like, a giant fire the size of my house. Like, this is a bad <laughs> setting. <laughs> 
<laughs> the size of my house. Where did they get all this wood? Also, like, are they burning tables and chairs as well? Don't no, it's like straight up plywood creating this like bonfire. It's like burn a witch at the stake type of bonfire. It's, it's insane. Nuts. It's insane. How did the fire department not show up at all? They must be deep in those woods <laughs> which is even danger more dangerous because of the trees around them i know this is a terrible idea and clearly not sanctioned by like a forest ranger and so anyway so he's like in, they're in front of this giant fire and like nick's trying to psych himself up to tell the rugby lads and harry shows up and so like nick keeps getting in this pattern where he's like getting really close but then like here here comes in another reason for me not to do this and so, like, it's it's really, really clearly difficult for Nick to like just do. It's not something you can just do. It's not a rip the bandaid off thing. Like, it's it's really harder for Nick than he anticipated, and it's like stressing him out to the point where he's like sick, which is sad. And like, coming out shouldn't shouldn't be like that. You shouldn't have to do it at all. But you know, yeah. I feel so bad for Nick. Um, but at some point. How and L make an appearance. And uh actually let's just finish the Nick and Charlie thing. I didn't mean to I didn't mean to do that. Um anyway, while they're doing that though, and Harry shows up, Charlie shows up because they got separated um for a hot minute, and Charlie is the one who, like he couldn't do with David, he sticks up for Nick against Harry and tells him to fuck off or whatever he says. <laughs> Which, I'm going to hydrate for Charlie. That was really big of him to do that. I think he told him to piss off. I know. means the same thing. <laughs> but I was trying to figure out the right words, Theora. Piss off. But I think that's, like, Charlie redeeming himself for, like, what happened with David when he couldn't, like, save him. Um, and another thing I really like about that scene, too, is, like, when Nick is having that, like, internal montage of, like, um, basically all the biphobia, like, going through his brain, where mm -hmm. he's, like, he has a picture of, of Tori being, like, oh, you're bi, so you're gonna cheat on my brother, that's what that means, and, like, Imogen being, like, you're not just gay, his brother, pick a side, and then it ends with Charlie being, like, well, you promised me you were gonna come out, and, I think that's really the crux of it all. Like, it's not just the bad reactions. It's the, the biphobia, I think, is getting to him. And then the pressure from, you know, uh, the, the not the pressure, but the Nick feels like he's letting Charlie down because this is so hard. And he, he hasn't accomplished what he was he said he would accomplish by the Paris trip, you know, and Nick clearly cares so much about Charlie and he would never let him down if he, you know, if he could help it. And I think that's really what's upsetting him the most it's not the coming out it's the letting charlie down part which is what charlie's been trying to avoid i know and it's just like there's some things you, you can't avoid you just it's you a know. difficult situation it really is Ugh. but before that bonfire i forgot to mention this part um there's a moment where isaac and james are just like talking to each other and like having fun and then isaac glances at this couple making out nearby and the quickly looks away again so like isaac's journey highlight 
But also, I feel like he's thinking, can people just keep their hands off each other for like five minutes? Because these people, they can't just be. They have to be with someone. Yeah. It's just teenagers. Just teenagers. Um, okay. And so backtracking just a little bit. Um, or I guess at that to end that scene. So at this point, Charlie's like, uh, Nick does not look okay. And Nick is like, I feel ill. <laughs> I can't do this. And so Charlie goes to like take Nick away and they kind of leave. But before we get to that point, there's we have to talk about the L and Tao stuff because they do eventually make their appearance at the party. Like it's already like full swing. This is when the bonfire gets lit. And it must have been an awkward car ride there. Oh my god, it must have been. Uh, I hope Tao wasn't ranting about that movie anymore. <laughs> it was probably dead silent. Uh, yeah, that, unfortunately, I think that's exactly what it was. Um, and who is there at the party? But it's Naomi and Felix. And Tao immediately is just immediately insecure. Because... To him, they threaten, they're like, they're the new life that Elle is leaving him for. And so that's the that's the breaking point. And they get into the argument about this. And ultimately, Elle's like, look, this is too much. If I'm tired of feeling like crap about this. This date was a disaster. Let, romance ruins friends. Let's just end this now before this goes any further. Um, and she just storms away to hang out with her art friends. Meanwhile, Tao is kind of just standing there kind of lost in himself. And at this point, Charlie is looking for Nick and happens to find Tao first. And I love their moment together because Tao just is fully insecure about himself and has a bit of a breakdown. And it basically is just like expressing things like I'm not worthy, who could ever love me kind of stuff. And Charlie just hugs him and reminds him you're amazing and I love you. And I love that scene between the two of them because romantic love is not everything like love between friends sometimes is more important and so to have charlie who's known him for so long be like rem like remember who you are tao you're awesome i love you like i love that scene kind of before tao leaves like with those two um tao, i mean i know tao is like worried that Elle is changing but i mean she is because uh, yeah. they're growing up they're all gonna change but mm -hmm. she's finally starting to find her place and a place in the world, basically, with the help of this new school, which is shown with the friends being there. Like, I love seeing her with them because you can just tell, like, that's where she clicks. Elle yeah. is changing and Tao wants things to stay the same. So he is stifling Elle by not allowing her to find her place and grow into herself. Like, I know it's really hard to be like happy when there's like new friends around because like i would feel the same i'd be like oh they're taking her away from me but i think he needs to look back and see how happy she is and take that with how she's not going to just leave him but it's it's hard to say when you have those issues yeah and i think he gets there eventually but coming off of that disaster date yeah, it's help. a lot. <laughs> I feel like he would have reacted slightly differently had that date not been a disaster, you know. He was already feeling insecure and this just, like, was the bomb on the ship kind of thing. 
but yeah, they, 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 and you're right. This is like that point in their lives where everybody is changing and like, you know, sometimes change is good. Sometimes it's bad. Sometimes it hurts. Sometimes it's happy. Like it's growing pains. So, all right, uh, let's go jump to Olivia Coleman. Okay. So, uh, Nick and Charlie go to Nick's house, and Charlie, <laughs> this is the scene with the three cheeks. Varying thought, sizes. Varying sizes. And the first time we watched this, Caitlin was like, are those all for Olivia Coleman? <laughs> I don't know why that's why what I thought. I don't I really thought I don't I really don't know what was going in my head. I love that though. She's just a tea fiend. <laughs> why would I think that all three of them are for Olivia Coleman? Because she's the best. Um okay, and because she's the best. Okay, so this scene that happens with Charlie and Olivia Coleman where he gives her the tea and then he goes to, t they have a little chat and he, and he goes to bring the tea upstairs. The only reason this scene even exists is because Joe half kidding, but not count kidding was like, I, I, I need a scene with Olivia Coleman. Like I need one. And so this is the scene. They literally wrote it because he asked for a scene with her. And so that's why the scene exists. That's amazing. I mean, technically yeah. he has more than one scene with her, but like one-on-one -on -one scene. Okay. Yeah, he's like, I want to see. Amazing, I know. So I love that so much. This little tiny scene is so. Thank, thank you, Joe. Next this... season, it's gonna be everyone has a one on one with Olivia Colman. She becomes like the therapist or something. <laughs> she just runs into Isaac at a bookstore. <laughs> like, that's a King like, reason. It's okay to question yourself. It's okay to not feel like everybody else. You will find your place. I really want that scene now, Caitlin. God damn it. <laughs> or she's the therapist that intervenes between Sahar and Imogene when they're trying to figure their shit out. And she's like, it's clearly obvious between the two of you, the way you look at each other. Just give, give each other a chance. <laughs> Here's some tea. Look at each other. Look in the eyes. The what eyes do you see? Obvious. You see that twinkle? <laughs> Don't don't forget about your tea. Your tea's getting cold. It's getting cold. Oh my god, I love her. So unfortunately, we have to leave Olivia Coleman. No, upstairs. Olivia Coleman is such a supportive queen. That's what yes to everybody, about. even yeah. characters she hasn't met yet. Apparently, according <laughs> to our fan fiction, <laughs> we write so much fan fiction in these episodes. <sighs> it just fan fiction makes everything better. So we it can't does. help it. Um. So Charlie takes the tea, goes upstairs. And Nick's, like, feeling terrible. So he's just, like, in bed, like, I need some rest. And they have a chat. And they finally, like, come clean about what they've been feeling and what we've been perceiving that they're feeling. And essentially, Nick does confirm that coming out by the Paris trip has been stressing him out. And um, because coming out to everybody except his mom has been a lot harder than he thought it was going to be, which totally understandable. And to this, Charlie drops... My favorite line from Heartstopper, which was originally said by Allred, um, who is the character that is basically Isaac. And he says, there's this idea that if you're not straight, you have to tell 
all your family and friends immediately, like you owe it to them, but you don't, you don't have to do anything until you're ready. And in the book, he basically said that to Charlie when Charlie was like really stressed out about like telling Tao. Cause like in the books, Charlie didn't tell Tao he was uh, dating Nick. Um, and so I think it came out about that time, but I just love that line. Cause yes, like, unfortunately coming out is a thing queer people do for straight people i feel like because straight is the default in everybody's brain so you almost have to explain like no like i'm not the default because you don't want someone saying like oh do you have a boyfriend yet yes exactly so you have to be like i'm not that so you have to correct them essentially by doing this so it's like but but the thing is we like i love this line because like you you can like i understand that feeling that pressure to like you have to tell everybody immediately when you meet them or like Mm -hmm. when something comes up and like it's almost like you can't do it on your own terms kind of thing you constantly have to do it coming out is a forever thing i Um, mean i feel like it's easier if you have a wife though right they you just be like here's my wife (laughs) that does make it easier (laughs) Yes, our marriage is to, so we don't have to come out anymore. <laughs> or is it just a gal pal that you're roommates with? A gal pal. We have gotten sisters a few times, which I don't understand. We look totally different. I'm like, how? How? Jesus Christ. But anyway, key message. Don't come out until you're ready. You don't owe anybody anything. I love that. Um, so in this in this talk that they have together, like, Charlie officially takes the Paris deadline off the table because... Charlie wants to alleviate all stress from Nick and Nick's happy about this and kind of cuddles and like kind of goes to sleep. And we get this shot of Charlie's face, like kind of processing that reality. And it's very clear that like Nick not being out is stressing out Charlie. Um, Which it must suck to be. In, it, I understand Charlie's like why he's so stressed out. Cause like, it must suck to be in that position where you're like, I'm ready to be out and like have the person of my dreams be out with me but they're not ready and i understand why they're not ready so it's just like charlie is just internalizing all of his like frustration with this and it's just it seems like it's just getting worse and worse like each episode well i feel like his first relationship was ben and he had to hide the whole time so he's like i finally have someone who gets me and who loves me yeah they haven't said love yet but only a matter of time (laughs) And the last important thing from this scene is that Nick drops that pet name, Char, when he tells Charlie he's proud of him for telling Harry to fuck off. <laughs> I love it. If there's any time to drop the pet name, it's then. And their little conversation there is so cute. When Charlie's like, I would fight him for you. I would do all this stuff. <laughs> so cute. I just I love it. Ugh. And that's promise. Did, did you like it, Caitlin? Of course I liked it. You promised we weren't lying. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Good callback. I forgot the the episode title. (laughs) I try. Well, I challenge you to disprove me. That's the next episode. (laughs) Yeah, I was like, I wonder where you got that next line. (laughs) (sighs) All right. Before I start trying to go through all the titles, uh, I hope you guys enjoyed this episode. We're excited to keep keep going with Heartstopper Season 2. Uh, and until next time, 
hydrate for lesbian jesus and gay it up all over the place bye, bye. And with that, we've been Big Gay Energy. If you like this episode, check out all our other episodes on whatever you're using to listen right now. If you're listening on Apple, we'd really appreciate it if you left us a review, no matter how brief. It helps us get into Apple's algorithm to reach a wider audience. Please feel free to reach out to us. We would love to hear from you about everything and anything. You can find us on all the social medias at Big Gay Energy Pod. Or email us at biggayenergypod at gmail.com. If you'd like to make friends with other queer media-loving people, reach out to us to join our Discord server. If you'd like to support us, check out our merch store or join our Patreon for early access to episodes, exclusive content, and so much more. Until next time, stay safe and hydrate for Lesbian Jesus.